This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six. everybody welcome to another episode of the 643 podcast thank you guys for tuning in that's going to be a little bit before you get to hear me back on 680 so i figured it might as well be a good time to uh get another episode of the 643 podcast up and tide you guys over until saturday as the braves get ready to start a series in arizona looking for better results than we've seen on saturday and sunday kind of odd coming out of the break for a team that did so well in the first half to drop a series to a team as bad as chicago but it's kind of baseball, right? Baseball's a little bit weird. Ironically enough, it's the first series the Braves have lost since that series against Oakland. So I guess as long as they can keep that trend up, beat all the good teams, and the only teams you lose to are teams that you're not going to see in the playoffs. I suppose you can get a. I suppose you can make do with that. I guess it's kind of true. They say you, every team wins sixty, every team loses sixty, and it's what you do with the other sixty that really matters. And for the Braves, I don't know that I'd say there's anything that I'm really too concerned about. But you did see, I don't want to say necessarily a weakness to the team, but every team has at least some sort of flaw. And you did kind of see a little bit of that on Saturday, especially with Spencer Strider's start. It's one of the good indicators for why you don't really just use ERA or how ERA can be misleading, similar to how batting average can be misleading for offensive players. If you look at the game, Spencer ends that game with a 7-5 ERA or 7-2, one of those two. Uh, But if you dig a little bit deeper, you take a look at the FIP, which is fielding independent pitching, for any of y'all that don't know. Essentially, all that does is it normalizes defense. It says if you have an average defense behind you, how many earned runs would you have given up? If you see, if you take a look at the line in that game, I know it says Spencer went six innings and gave up five runs, but when you actually dig a little bit deeper, you can see that at least four of those runs, you could argue, and I would argue, at least four of those runs really weren't his fault. At the very least, three. Uh, Eddie Rosario had a little bit of an adventure out there in left field. And if that's, if you're trying to find something for the Braves that, that you might want to take a look at that might rear its ugly head in a postseason series against you know maybe a better opponent than the White Sox, that might be something that you pay attention to. I'll be honest, it's, it's kind of hard to find many flaws with this team. You did see on Sunday a little bit of shakiness in the rotation as Colby Allard got beat around a little bit before exiting with an injury. Colin McHugh was pretty good in a little short time frame. The weirdest thing I think about Sunday was Michael Soroka coming out of the bullpen. Didn't seem to me like you were setting up Colby with a good matchup, considering that the only good offensive players the White Sox have are all right-handed. Guys like Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn. Uh, those are about the only ones who were worth anything on that squad. But you got to see Soroka come in for three innings out of the pen, pitched well outside of a home run he gave up to Luis Robert. If you know anything about Lou Bob, uh, not that surprising, giving up a home run to him this year. He's been on a 
crazy pace since June. Um, but all in all, I'm not I'm not worried about the Braves dropping a series to the White Sox. I've been saying, I and mean, everybody knows, you were gonna you weren't gonna go the rest of the season winning every single series. At some point, you're gonna drop some games, and sometimes it'll just happen to be in a row. Uh, you're not gonna go out there and put up six runs every single game. Did kind of trick us a little bit after game one. Then went out there and got after it and kept that home run streak going. Unfortunately, that home run streak also died on Sunday as the Braves dropped it eight to one. Uh, pretty good outing for Dylan Cease for Chicago. It wasn't the best outing in the world. Had three walks in there and six strikeouts, and once they he went five innings. Um, but you know, it happens. The Braves are getting really, really. I think they were kind of had an eye on this series coming out of the break. I think that's why you have the rotation lined up the way you do. Now there were some people questioning why you you moved Bryce Elder to facing Arizona. You kind of kicked him down a few days rather than have him come out of the break firing. I think it's obviously because you look at Arizona, and while they're not number one in the NL West anymore, the Dodgers took that over. They are still a team you look at, and you kind of know for sure you've got a really good shot of facing them in the postseason, especially if they're able to maybe add a starting pitcher or two or a bullpen, maybe a couple bullpen pieces as well. We've seen Arizona already this year, and while the Braves won that series, that was a really hard-fought series. Uh, and I, I kind of would expect more of the same. They're on a little bit of a downturn here lately. But if you look at the way the rotation set up for the Braves, you're going to get Bryce Elder tonight. You'll have Charlie Morton tomorrow. And then you'll end on one of the better matchups you'll see for the week, uh, which will be Spencer Strider versus Zach Gallen. Now, on the plus side for Strider versus Chicago, it was another outing where he didn't walk a batter. He had 10 strikeouts in his six innings and didn't walk a single batter. If, if you'd just gotten just normal defense in left field, then Strider would have walked away from that, allowing one one run, maybe two tops. And while he did struggle to a degree after a third inning, it's kind of hard to say that a, a player really struggled when you have 10 Ks and no walks. It's just more good work from Spencer, who uh, since that outing against Detroit, where he got blown up against Detroit, since he kind of changed what he was looking to do and go back to kind of what he was doing last year, which is looking to throw everything 97 plus and then hammer that slider off of it. I don't want to make it sound like it's just the velocity. The The command is kind of really sharpened for Spencer over the last four or five starts or so. Uh, and that was just kind of one of those tough luck things. That's one of those that now kicks his ERA to 3.66. But, again, you look at the FIP and it's like 2.8, which is right, right around what it was last year, right in line with how he was throwing last year. Still looks like, uh, in terms of the Cy Young race, the third game, game three against Arizona, might be a very good tell of Zach Gallen. Uh, is another one of those guys right at the very top of Cy Young contention. Spencer Strider is too. And honestly, I know his last start didn't go well, but this is a good opportunity for Bryce Elder. If Bryce can go against his Arizona offense, and it's a really good offense. They're, they're very well balanced. Corbin Carroll is incredible. Cattell Marte is really good. So is Christian Walker. Uh, they've got some really good pieces in Arizona. If Bryce Elder can kind of keep them down and do what he's been doing for most of the season then I think any of those people that are still kind of holding out that maybe maybe Bryce will fall off a map, maybe they'll, they'll kind of have to rethink that a bit, or at least maybe accept that he might actually be for real. Now, I'm on Team Bryce. I'm really not in any sort of way worried about him. It's not exactly a profile that I would like look to. It's not something that I would look at as being imminently repeatable or anything like that. Guys that give up, you guys know me by this point. I much prefer pitchers with swing and miss. I much prefer the pitchers to leave the defense out of it the way Spencer does and you know get most of their outs by strikeouts. The only way you can't get hurt is a pitcher. 
But there is something about guys that know their own stuff well enough and are able to consistently put the ball in a spot and control what type of contact they give up. I don't mean control whether it's hard contact or soft contact. If you notice, Bryce Elder gives up lots of hard contact. But he's able to control the elevation of the contact, meaning he's able to get ground balls nearly 60% of the time. And whether or not you give up hard contact or soft contact, if you're giving up contact on the ground, most of the time those are going to be outs. That's why you can get into scenarios where he might give up seven hits in a game, and yet he breezes through seven innings and doesn't give up a run, and it feels like really didn't have much against him at all. When you, give, when you know that more than half of the contact that you do give up is going to be on the ground, it's a recipe for success. Now, again, it's not something that I would necessarily say you want to look for and try to build out an entire rotation based upon that. Um, because anytime you do give up contact, you are adding in extra steps that if they don't go well, bad things are going to happen. But it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world to have somebody in your rotation that's like that, first and foremost, because it, it means, generally speaking, games are going to move fairly quickly. It means that they should be able to get kind of deep into games, especially if it's a guy that doesn't walk a ton. Now, I have noticed lately Bryce's walk rates kind of jumped up just a little bit. I do wonder if that's a factor of maybe teams getting a better look at him. This is right around the time that you would have saw like Spencer was kind of struggling earlier this season. This is right around the same amount of starts for Bryce that Spencer had where he kind of started struggling. And again, struggle is kind of a loose word for Spencer Strider. He's still been incredible this season. But for Bryce, it's not a bad idea to get to face a decent lineup, but one that's young enough to where they'll probably be over, overly aggressive. But one of the things that I noticed about the way Arizona set this up and something that most teams have been doing here lately is the book seems to be out on the Braves, and that book is don't throw them a left-hander. Uh, always make them face righties. The good news is the Braves have been one of the best teams in baseball, one of the best offenses against right-handed pitchers, uh, especially since June. And I, I still lay a lot of that at the feet of that first Arizona series. Before they faced Ryan Nelson in what I want to say was game two of that first Arizona series, the Braves were a sub-100 WRC plus versus right-handed pitching, meaning they were below league average against right-handers. Part of that is because Ozzy wasn't hitting well from the left side, Eddie was really, really struggling, and Michael Harris was one of the worst hitters in baseball at that point. But I said this at the time, that getting to face a guy like Ryan Nelson, a guy who throws about 60 to 70% fastball, and it might even be higher than that, it might be closer to 75% fastball, and it sits about anywhere from 94 to 97, but it's not a particularly good fastball, that was a good recipe for the Braves to kind of get some good swings off and maybe jumpstart their offense versus right-handed pitchers. And I think it can kind of trace it back exactly to that start. That's when the Braves really started figuring it out versus righties. Now, Ozzy had kind of started getting it a little bit earlier. That Kansas City series, he didn't get rewarded with a lot, but he was putting really good swings on the ball left-handed. And that's been, I think, one of the biggest changes for this Braves offense. Obviously, being able to move Ozzy up to the two-hole and move Matt Olson down to four, I think that's paid huge dividends. I think that that's a better setup for Matt Olson. And look, Matt Olson was, was getting tons of RBI batting second, obviously because Ronald is typically going to be in scoring position as soon as he's on base. I mean, he'll score from first base on a ball that's not even really gapped. But he's also going to steal second whenever he gets an opportunity. But I just think, I, I think batting fourth or fifth fits what Matt Olson likes to do a little bit more. One of the things that I don't, and maybe this is an old school thought, it probably is, it's probably just something I'm not ever going to really be able to shake. I do prefer guys that can make consistent contact in the two-hole modern lineup theory would would kind of dictate that your best hitter bats second because it's kind of the best blend 
Now, obviously, with Ozzy hitting the way he is, I think that's paramount. Like I said, I, I like Matt Olson batting fourth because I enjoy somebody like Ozzy who's good at putting barrel on ball in the two-hole. I think that kind of just fits his profile, or at least what I imagined his profile of being much better. And you can't really argue anyway. I mean, what he's giving you is perfectly fine, um, even if it comes with higher K rates. But you see what what Matt's done since he's moved down in the order. And I wonder if we start to see them maybe try this out in regards to Austin Riley. Now, not that I think that Austin should forever be batting fifth in this lineup. But if you look at the case right now, Murphy third. Murph, earlier this year when he was batting third, he was on fire, and he's cooled down a little bit since then, but he's still had an incredible season, incredible enough to the point where if Ronald weren't doing the things that Ronald was doing, I don't think there'd be much argument that Sean Murphy would be the most valuable player in the National League. I think it's it's almost more impressive that Murphy's been able to do this as a catcher. Now, he's never going to have the steal numbers that Ronald has, so he's not going to have the same type of counting stats. But when you look at Sean Murphy, it's been a perfect blend of the best defensive catcher in baseball, and I would at least make the argument the best offensive catcher in baseball. I mean, you look at what he's done, just exploded since coming over here, and, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, you can't really know how hard it is to play well in a team when you are the only good player until you see that guy on a team of other good players. And maybe this is the actual secret to the Dodgers' success over the course of the past decade or so. It's not really, I don't want to take anything away from their development staff or their scouting department. Obviously, they can look at things and say, I bet you this player, if we put him in our lineup, will be much better. But maybe it's, you know, maybe it does have a lot more to do with the guys around you than people want to give credit for. Now, I've never been one of these that thinks, you know, that, that thinks protection is fake. I'm Just logically speaking, it obviously is a real thing. Like, pitchers will obviously look at who's behind you and decide how they want to pitch to you. Like, obviously, that just, you know, to argue otherwise is just kind of stupid to me. And no offense if you're one of those people. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just saying the, the argument doesn't make any sense to me because I, I know what it's like. You know, I wasn't a big leaguer or anything, but I know what it was like being, you know, high school and college age baseball players. Like, it's not even back then you're thinking of who's coming up next. Where can I go to get out here? Am I as worried about, you know, I want to make sure, do I want to make sure that I, I don't give in to, say, the fourth or the fifth hitter because I feel like I've got an easier out coming up next? Yeah, it just makes sense. Now, I think the Braves do a great job of mitigating that, and this is what other great teams do. They have lineups where pitchers can't really attack like that. They can't really think like that because if you decide, all right, I've got to be really careful with Ronald, well, Ozzy can hurt you. But if you're not careful with Ronald, Ronald's going to hurt you. And if you decide to pitch around Ozzy, well, normally Austin's going to hurt you or Matt Olson will hurt you if you pitch around Austin and so on all the way down in the Braves lineup. And this is something that I think set the Braves apart. There are a lot of other great and deep lineups in baseball. Don't get me wrong. Texas is Texas is just as good of a lineup as the Braves, if we're being honest. Now, they don't have a Ronald Acuna, but Corey Seager, you could make the argument that Corey Seager might be the best hitter in the American League. Marcus Semien, I, I mean, I... Marcus Simeon would probably be the number two hitter, like the, the second best hitter on the Braves. Nathaniel Lau, he's really good. Leody Tavares, Ezekiel Duran, Josh Young, they've all been great hitters this year. I mean, the Rangers have, I would say, they have the American League equivalent to the Braves lineup. The Rays, who we just saw right before the break, they've got a really good lineup that's very deep and it's hard to kind of attack. They're a little bit different in that they're the Rays, so they still platoon like 17 people all the time. 
but the Braves and the Rangers kind of approach it the same way. You do have Adolis Garcia out there, who's a just a phenomenal player, too. And I think that's a team that you can kind of look at. You see what they're doing on the American League side of things. I don't think they're going to slow down with their run scoring anytime soon. But the big advantage the Braves have over them is pitching. And that's what you talk about when you get closer and closer to the trade deadline. This isn't a Braves team like in years past where there's clearly been areas that you look at and say, we need to upgrade. So when you see maybe the small weakness that would be defense in left field with Eddie Rosario, I'm not saying that I want to get rid of Eddie. Like, I want to keep his bat. I like his bat in the lineup. And with 15 homers this season already, I have no doubts he's going to get his way to 20, the very least, maybe even see 25. He fits in this lineup as a one, they need some lefties. They don't have a ton of left-handed bats in this lineup in general. But he's also a guy that's a little bit of a different flavor. Now he's striking out 25% of the time this year, which is a lot for him and a lot for his profile in general. But it looks like he's kind of traded off some of his contact for power, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think one of the things with a guy like Eddie is if he can up the walk rate, right now it's at 7%, which for him, that's perfectly fine. But if you tell me Eddie's your 7-hitter, that's a great lineup. Same thing with Marcel. And this, I, I did not think I'd be saying this in 2023. And look, whatever you feel about Marcel, you're entitled to feel. You don't like him because of his off-field stuff. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna harangue you for it. I'm not gonna call you out on it. Uh, whatever. I. I mean, you are. You should feel however you want to feel about him. But I don't think the Braves are in any real rush to try to move him. So while maybe that can be a little bit prohibitive of what you want to do with the deadline. There are some teams that are sellers that I think are going to fit. And I think you look at St. Louis, I think that's the most obvious fit. They need pitching. The Braves have quite a few arms that are at like basically right at big league level, ready to go. They could afford to move a couple. Now, are Jared Schuster, Dylan Dodd, the types to get a deal like that done? And by a deal like that, I'd be looking at a guy like Dylan Carlson. I'd like Carlson and Jordan Montgomery. If you're going to add another rotation piece, I do not believe in grabbing a guy like Flaherty, uh, or or Lance Lynn, I don't uh, I do not believe in lateral moves for a team that's so far and away better than everybody else, or a team that has played and, and camaraderie and clubhouse has been such a big deal. I don't believe in making lateral moves. I only believe in making upgrades. But if you tell me that you can bring in Dylan Carlson and maybe maybe Carlson just becomes a guy that you're you're having him your offense might take a tick down actually because if you bring in Dylan Carlson. You're likely starting him full-time because he's a superb defender. He's a really good defender in center field, much less in left field, where he'd be a great defender. You have the best defensive outfield among Michael Harris, Ronald Acuna, and Dylan Carlson. That'd be the best defensive outfield in the majors. I'd like to see if Seitz could unlock something with Carlson's left-handed swing, honestly, because he's not been good against lefties. He's much better against righties. But I like what we've—or, I'm sorry— Flip that around. He's been much better against lefties than he has been against righties. He's been much better as a right-handed hitter where he's been decidedly above average throughout the course of his career. So to that end, maybe that's a good platoon option with Eddie. But I think the best move for the Braves could honestly be platooning Eddie and Marcella DH. Now, again, maybe you're taking a small step back offensively if you add in Carlson, unless, like me, you believe that Kevin Seitzer could probably fix something there. Dylan Carlson's not an old guy. He's still 24 years old. He's still... Coming into his prime, there's a lot to work with. He was the number 15 overall prospect for a reason. But John Mosellock and the Cardinals admitted he's going to be the guy riding the bench. So I don't think he would necessarily be all that expensive. He's got three years of control after this season. He's not a free agent until after 2027. I think that would be brilliant. If you could find a way, if Alex could find a way to get that, to get Carlson and Jordan Montgomery, I think he called a trade deadline. Now, I know there's a lot of people talking about bullpen help. 
Uh, that would not go amiss, especially since you've got quite a few guys on the shelf now. A.J. Minter, um, not back yet. You don't have Dylan Lee, who hasn't even started a rehab assignment yet, although I think they're kind of slow playing him. Nick Anderson on the 60-day IL. Jesse Chavez not back as, as quickly as he anticipated. I think there's, you know, if you tell me that you want the Braves to go after some bullpen pieces, I, I'm not going to disagree with you there. As far as the rotation goes, I don't really think the rotation's a necessity. I think getting Max Freed back, and for what it's worth, Max's next start, he's going to be about 60 pitches. Uh, and then, assuming that's the line they're keeping, he'll probably go 60 to 80 to 100. Now the question is whether his 100-pitch outing, whether that'll be a rehab in the minors, or whether he'll be back up at the majors at that point. I don't really know. I think it would probably depend. I think the Braves are in a situation where they can afford to wait. I don't think they're going to press it. They've done such a good job without him. Now that Kyle Wright is able to throw as well, we'll see if he's able to get back by the time and be back in a rotation-type form by the time September rolls around. You could roll into a postseason where maybe you are sticking Charlie Morton in the bullpen. And for what it's worth, I think you'd stick Charlie in the bullpen before Bryce Elder. One, because I think Charlie Charlie obviously has more swing and miss. And because Charlie's been successful at it before. And if you tell me, I just need a guy to float around and maybe give me three innings in a game, I think Charlie's that perfect guy. But if you're able to get Max Free back, maybe it's Kyle Wright. Maybe Kyle takes a little bit longer to get back and you're not quite comfortable with him heading into the postseason holding down a rotation spot. But if you tell me that Kyle Wright becomes your long man in the pen to end off this year, I don't see a rotation acquisition as a big necessity. Now, part of this is also I have full belief in Michael Soroka, and I'm not willing to entertain the idea that he won't be awesome. But we'll see. Alex is always surprising. And against a team like Arizona, I'm not going to say that this is a must win or anything like that the Braves are in a great position no matter what happens even if the Braves go on a little bit of a downturn they've built themselves they've built themselves enough of a lead to where even if they go through a kind of a tough stretch in the second half at any point you still think they're going to be fine and we'll see I think tonight's a very good opportunity for Bryce Elder and I think it's a good opportunity for the Braves offense Zach Davies is not a very good pitcher and he's got like a 6-5 ERA and his pips not much better than that he doesn't throw hard he doesn't strike out a lot of guys uh, and I think this is an offense the Braves can, or a pitching staff the Braves can feast on. Uh, and I think the way that it's lined up, it's really, really in favor of the Braves. Uh, I've got Zach Davies going today. I haven't, I didn't see who they have going tomorrow. Give me a second, I'll pull that up. <clears throat> but I know it's Zach Gallen and Spencer Strider on Thursday, and that's that's the game you look at and say if you're a Braves fan that you can't necessarily count on winning. But I would say, I mean, if you're asking me if I'm taking Spencer Strider or Zach Gallon, I'm still taking Spencer Strider. And it'll be Ryan Nelson. It'll be Ryan Nelson versus Charlie Morton tomorrow. So again, that's probably advantage Braves too, because Charlie, I know it hasn't been the most consistent at times this year, but I think part of what people worry about with Charlie is kind of what you saw last year and not really paying attention to how he's been this year. Charlie's been a perfect number three this year. If you're telling me that he moves down to four or five, when Max Reed comes back, that's more just that's more a comment on how good your rotation is, not how unreliable Charlie has been. It's a great spot to be in. It's it's weird that I, we can lose a series to the White Sox, and I'm not upset or mad or anything. I just kind of shrug my shoulders and say, "Oh well, we'll see what happens next time." But the Braves have earned that this year. They they've earned you having the benefit of the doubt. They've earned you not worrying if they play a bad game or two, or if the bullpen blows a game or two. Uh, if, if occasionally the other team is just better. Occasionally it's just one of those days. And if that happens two days in a row to the Braves, I think, you know, showing you what they've shown you, a 61-win team already, 
I think they've kind of earned that benefit of the doubt. Am I worried about anybody? Honestly, no. I'm not worried about anybody. Now, I know people are going to say the Phillies, if they get hot, they can do what they did last year in the postseason. I think that was a fluke. I really do. I don't think Aaron Nola is the same Aaron Nola anymore. I think this Braves offense can torch him. I think Zach Wheeler is really good, but he hasn't been normal Zach Wheeler this year. Ranger Suarez, I think, has been a really good pitcher for the Phillies. But again, that's a lefty. And I know what happened last year, but hey, Braves versus the lefty. Give me the Braves. You want to compare offenses? Like, again, I think there's the Braves don't have a flaw in their offense or in their defense the way Philadelphia does. And even if you put Bryce Harper at first base, you're still talking about Kyle Schwarber being in the outfield or Nick Castellanos being in the outfield. Now, maybe that opens up the ability for them to play Christian Pache and Brandon Marsh at the same time, depending on when Pache is able to get back healthy. But maybe not. The Phillies haven't been known as a team that really cares about their defense. I mean, Trey Turner's playing shortstop, and Bryson Stott's playing second base, when defensively the smart move would be to flip-flop those two. Now Bohm is better at third base, but he's not a good defensive third baseman. He's a guy that you look at and say, yeah, that's an eventual first baseman. And they're, they're, I mean, JT Romuto is still JT Romuto. Don't get me wrong there. But they're not a strong defensive team. And as a lineup, they're fairly top-heavy. I think there are plenty of places to go there to get outs. I'm not worried about them. Definitely not worried about the Mets. I'm not worried about the Marlins. The Marlins have to worry about their own schedule. They've got a crusher of a schedule in the second half. Which, you know, good for them for what they did in the first half. And they were the second-best team by record in the National League for quite a while. But they, they're going to have to make some moves at the deadline if they just want to keep in it. By the way, I'm also not going to rule out a reunion of sorts. If the Red Sox continue to be number four in their division, which they likely will be, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you see like an Adam Duvall and Chris Martin reunion. I think those that would fit very, very well, honestly. I think that would be a, you'd add in a better defender in left field. It's power bat, which the Braves like. They're very familiar with Duvy. He fits well, you know, what they like to do. They love Adam Duvall. And you bring in Chris Martin, who kind of fits into what you want in this bullpen. Is he going to be your setup guy, your top guy? No. But he can hold it down until A.J. Minter comes back, until you get Nick Anderson back, or Dylan Lee back. And no matter what no matter what inning you want to slot him into, a guy that doesn't walk people or give up fly ball contact, really doesn't give up any home runs, that's a great guy to have in your pin. Alex has a lot of moves he can make this year, for being honest. Maybe it's Alex Lang from Detroit. I don't, maybe, maybe he goes off the wall and surprises everybody, and he goes and finds a guy that nobody really thought was available and he just swings a deal for him. I don't know. Maybe it's Paul Blackburn from Oakland. I don't know. There's a lot of ways that Alex Anthopoulos can improve this club. But I also don't feel like he has to do anything. And when you're talking about the best places to be, in not just in baseball, but in any sport, to be in the spot where if you don't make a move, it doesn't really, it doesn't noticeably affect your chances at winning a championship... That's the best place to be. If everything that you make, if you can focus solely on making upgrade moves and not have to make the marginal moves at the, at the fringes, it's hard to argue that it's the best spot to be. And it's hard to argue that there's a, more, a, better, a team that is more applicable in that situation than the Atlanta Braves. All right, that's going to do it for me. I went a little bit over today. Um, again, you won't hear me again until Saturday. I'll be out of town for my son's birthday, which is on Thursday. We're going to go to an animal safari in Pine Mountain, which will be a whole lot of fun. See if he enjoys the animals sticking their faces in the car door. We'll see. But uh, I'll be back again on Saturday morning on 6 to the Fan from 9 to 11 in my normal time slot. Thank you guys for checking out and listening to 643. Thank you. <laughs>
gonna be. That's all, folks. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. 